the whole idea of uh, this theme, there's a passage. If you don't have a Bible with you, you could, there are paperback Bibles like this under the chair seat in front of you. And we're going to be reading from page 682. Uh, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but, but wearing crosses is a thing. You notice that? I mean, shirts with crosses on them, cross earrings, cross rings, cross, you know, pendants, just cross, cross tats. Uh, crosses are, are in. And what's an interesting thing from my perspective about that is I'm, I don't have a problem with wearing, with people wearing, I don't think Jesus would either, uh, wearing crosses as, as an accessory. But I think that the fact that crosses are so popular as an accessory, reflects something that we don't get about what the cross means, okay? I just realized I'm going to turn my phone off here. Uh, I'm usually the last person to have a problem with that, but I want to make sure it doesn't go off in the middle of this talk. The, The cross is supposed to be front and center to our faith. And when... People understand what the cross is, and when they embrace it, it's just life-transforming. It is, it's life-changing. But if we treat the cross, or we, or we have an understanding of the cross that's an accessory to our already almost complete life, then it doesn't have the power it's supposed to have. And one of the things about the, the church that Jesus is building, and that's that's kind of the theme of the series we're doing is the church that Jesus is building understands that the cross is front and center and embraces that, that that's Jesus's idea. And it's not just front and center, like when you walk in the vineyard, there's a big cross on the wall. Or, you know, we don't have the cross up here right now, but, you know, there's crosses all over the place. It's not that you wear crosses, it's that you understand what the cross is about and that you embrace it, that it's, that it's actually front and center in your life. Now, that idea comes from lots of places in the, in the Bible from beginning to end, but it's really drawn out and explained in the New Testament. And there's a passage in Matthew chapter 16 where this is the first time that Jesus is going to begin to explain what the cross means to his disciples. This is the first of four times where he's going to explain the cross. And when he begins to introduce this idea, you're going to see they don't immediately go, oh yeah, hooray, the cross. This is exciting. They have, in fact, the exact opposite reaction. And they have that reaction because they don't understand it. And it's a reaction that, that we have, if we're honest, uh, or if we're self-aware, we, and if we understand the cross, we realize that, that we're reacting a lot like they do. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 21, I want to read there, and it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, Peter took him aside, so he said, Jesus, hold on. Stop right there. Come over here. And it says, He took Jesus aside And he began to rebuke him, and he said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Then Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of people. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, which that's what a disciple was, is someone who was following Jesus. So Jesus is reiterating to them the terms of their relationship. And he says to them, just to clarify, because if you, if you go back in the book of Matthew, when Jesus met some fishermen along the side of the road, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he said, come, follow me, leave your boats and your nets and your jobs and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And they, it says right then, psh, they, you know, they dropped everything they had, they let go of their whole way of life and started following him. And you would think that they got it, but they didn't. They didn't understand what he was really asking for. And so Jesus clarifies. He says, if anyone would come after me, he too, like Jesus said, he was, he was going to deny himself by going to the cross. He's saying, you have a cross to bear. And here's what he says. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. He says, I'll tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, Jesus, I just want to go back over this just unpack it for a second. So Jesus tells them, this is, this is the first time he, he really explicitly says, I'm going to suffer rejection and many other things from the religious leaders, the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our faith, the people who are, who are the children of Abraham. They're going to reject me. They're going to kill me. And that has to happen for me to rise again from the grave. And Peter just stops right there. He doesn't want to hear anymore. And he tells Jesus, no, no. Now, you know, no Lord, we've, we've often pointed this out. It, no Lord. Lord means you're the boss of everything. To say no to the one that has the boss of everything is, is just immediately problematic. But Peter was an honest guy. And sometimes we hide our honesty. I mean, we hide our true feelings and our true attitudes and we don't show them. And, you know, one of the things I, I, I like about our church is we have a lot of Peters in our church who, are, who aren't afraid to speak up and just say, hey, this is where I'm at, whether it's right or not. I think that's a, a healthy thing because a lot of times we're not as honest about our, our true feelings and our true perspective, and, and you know, that's problematic. Well, Peter wasn't, but he was wrong here. He was off base. He was completely off base. He was off base in a way that it's hard to be further off base than Peter was at this point. So Jesus says to him, essentially, oh, oh, hold it. When Jesus says, I have to suffer and die and be raised again on the third day, he is saying the cross is going to be the center of our faith. Now, I want you to hold, hold, hold on. Just before this passage, we read this a few weeks back. The story where Peter is with the other disciples and Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? And they say, some of people say this, some say this, but Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. 
You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. Like all these miracles that we've seen happen, they prove that you're the Christ. And, that, and Jesus says, bingo, you got it. God, and you didn't figure this out by yourself. God revealed that to you. Because that's the one thing about figuring out who Jesus is. You can't really tell who he is without God revealing Jesus to you. It isn't something that you just, like a, a math problem, you work at until you get the right solution. It's a revelation. It, it, it's hidden from us unless God reveals who Jesus is to us. And Jesus commended Peter at this point and said, Peter, you're right. You saw something all those people didn't see. And then he says to Peter, that experience you just had is going to be the key element of all the people that I, I make my church, my ecclesia. And remember how we talked about the ecclesia in an ancient community? The ecclesia was the decision-making body of every city. They were the people who called the shots in the city. And Jesus said, all the people who recognize me as Lord and as the Messiah are going to be the ones who are the most influential people in their communities because of me, not because of them. And then he goes on and says, in fact, their influence is going to be so staggering that they are even going to overcome evil and injustice and, and darkness of the worst kinds. They're going, to, they're going to be able to see transformation in their own lives and in the communities around them. He says that even the gate, he called it the gates of hell. And he was just using you know, a, a poetic image to say that evil in all of its forms will not be able to stand before this group of people. And, and he's giving this picture of this victory. Yeah, we're going to overcome evil and darkness in the world. This is what all the prophets said. So that is the backdrop to Jesus, the next thing Jesus said, which is now, when you're all worked up and ready to go and take on the world, the way that I'm going to win that victory is I'm going to suffer and die and I'm going to be raised again. And the people that, that follow me and put their faith in me and embrace the cross the way I'm going to embrace it as a way of life and embrace me and following me, they're going to be the people. That's how those people are going to storm the gates of injustice and evil and trouble and problems and pain and sorrow and overcome it. And Peter goes, no, <laughs> no way. And Peter is speaking for all of human history. Because the, the, I think universally throughout history, you could say one thing about suffering, is people think suffering is an abominable waste. There's no value in it. There's no point to it. Suffering is just a waste. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're going to suffer? I thought you were the Messiah. The Messiah is a winner. Like Ricky Bobby said, I'm a winner. Okay. No, don't do Ricky Bobby jokes. Okay. Some people here are actually intelligent enough not to have seen that movie. Okay. But America is into power and winning and being on top. And I was talking to someone yesterday. I, you know, I was, we were, we were, I was uh, over at OSU and talking to a friend, I, we, I don't know how England came up, but I'd been, I've been to England before. And when you're an American in England, it's easy to spot you. English people are kind of real quiet and, and mellow. And one night we were trying to find some friends in a, in a pub, 
and we were going down this street, and we couldn't remember the pub, and we're walking, and we open the doors and, and walk in and kind of look around and listen, and everyone's just kind of talking like this, and then, you know, you walk in the next pub, and all of a sudden you hear over in the corner, it's really loud, and you know, that's where the Americans were, right? And you go over there, oh, it's not our friends. Okay, it's not our Americans. So we go down to the next pub. We found, we found where our Americans were. But they were so much louder. They're boisterous. They're just out there. And that's how Americans are. And like Americans are winners. We're, you know, we push the, we, we push the envelope. You know, we, we are entrepreneurial. We take the world. And Peter and all his contemporaries, they thought the Messiah was going to be like that. The Messiah, the word Messiah meant the anointed one, someone who was empowered from God to overcome evil. So when you follow Jesus, you're, most of us in our minds think we're following a winner. We're following someone who overcomes. And and that's true, but we don't grasp, and that Peter didn't, the implications of that. Because Jesus was now explaining how he was going to overcome and how he was going to win. And it wasn't the way that they thought. It's not typically the way we immediately think things should work. And so Jesus takes Peter aside after he took him aside. And he says, first, uh, Peter, you think you're motivated by concern for me and concern for God, but you're not. This is just about you, and you don't know it, but you're a mouthpiece of Satan. Now, remember, just before this, Jesus has said to Peter, you're speaking something God showed you. And it seems like almost within the next breath, Peter is opening his mouth, and he's speaking evil things. And Jesus says that... uh, what Peter was saying was be, becoming a stumbling block to Jesus, and it was becoming a stumbling block to all these other people. And so he, what he's, he's beginning to point out to Peter is, if you refuse self-denial and suffering, if that's not front and center in your life, you're a stumbling block to other people. And you don't have your mind on God's ways. You don't have that kind of attitude you think you have. And I think of Peter at that point, this, this is the thing about having this sense that we don't have to suffer. There's, there's I, I'm, I, let me, I'm going to get into some of the, the problems that Peter had here in a second. Jesus saw something that Peter didn't see. He saw that the human condition, the problem of the human condition was far more serious than Peter thought it was, and more serious than we think it is. And there's this weird dilemma about being human, is that, that we bear the image of God, and we're wonderful, but we're also just amazingly messed up. And we're those things at the same time. And it's, it's hard to hold those things in tension, that, that we tend to think we're just worthless or we're just absolutely wonderful and the world should revolve around me. So we're either filled with shame or we're filled with undue um, self-worship and self-respect. And what Jesus saw is, is not either or, but he saw both those things together, but he saw that that left a problem 
that required a solution that was more radical than what Peter thought. And, you know, I think all of us come into the idea of the cross with the same mindset. And it's about the idea, to pick that up again, we see the cross as kind of an accessory in our life. It's like something we wear that, that just enhances our already almost perfect life. And when Jesus talked about the cross to Peter, that, his reaction showed he, didn't, he was not ready for the idea of self-denial and suffering as, a, as, a, as front and center of his life or his faith. It just wasn't. And yet it is the thing, it is the engine of all change. It is the place of all change. It is the place where everything that you long for in your life is found. It is the only place it's found. And, and Jesus is trying to say to him, that's, you know, this is the message you didn't get from the Old Testament, Peter. And then it's the message of the New Testament, too. That God invites us into self-denial and suffering. And he says, if you embrace it, you're going to find everything your heart's longing for. And you just go, no, how does that work? Those two things do not belong together in the same sentence. I don't want them in my head at the same time. Please don't talk that way. That's why Peter's going after. He's saying, you're, you're the Messiah. Now he's saying, stop it. Don't talk that way. And so Jesus then just says, Peter, you don't get it. Now he's going to go on later and explain more about the cross. And he's going to become a lot more explicit. But everything that we know now about the cross you can, you can unpack it from that one sentence he said, I, I must suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders, and I must die to be raised again. Must. Did you get that? Must. He said that twice in that, in that little paragraph. I must do this. You need, he's saying to Peter and he's saying to you, you need what Jesus is going to do. And what God has for you can only be realized through you embracing what Jesus did for you and then what he invites you into as a way of life. But it involves self-denial and suffering. And Jesus lived it first. And you know, this is the thing about the, the, the resurrection. is It's God's way of saying to us, Jesus is vindicated. What he did, he didn't do it because he was just a victim. His death had a purpose. And the result, when you, put, when you align your life with his and you surrender your life to his and you follow him, is your life will be vindicated in the same way. But you'll have to go the same route of embracing your cross. That's what Jesus said here. So here's the thing. Human need, Peter's pushback, to Jesus saying, you've got a bigger problem than you think, Peter. When Peter pushed back, it reflected selfishness. It reflected this mindset that we all have, a, a me first, I'll do it my way, approach to life. It's, it's the reflex that we all come into the world with and then that we hone to a highly developed skill and, and we learn to hide. We learn to cover it up and sanitize it. Because 
It, it's rare for it, people who get a lot of power don't have to hide it generally as much. But most of us that don't have as much power, we have to hide that drive for me first. And we learn to do it. And sometimes we go to church and we learn the language and the words. We sing the songs and we learn to be very expressive or whatever it is to fit into the group. But we don't take seriously this thing that we all come into the world with and that we all wrestle with about having a me-first attitude. And Jesus says that is the problem. And what that me-first attitude does, when we used to teach the Alpha class, uh, Nicky Gumbel used to, he used to say there's four things that that me-first attitude does to us. It pollutes us. Having a me-first attitude seems just really reasonable in the world we live in. But Jesus says it pollutes us. It introduces and increases this contamination to our soul that is, is corrupting and destructive. And that, that me-first attitude is what's behind greed. It's what's, what's behind lying. It's what's, what's behind violence. It's what's behind substance abuse. It's what's behind sexual immorality. It's what's behind uh, prejudice and judgment. And all the things that destroy our world, they pollute you and your soul. The second thing that they do, Nikki said, was they also, a me-first attitude enslaves you. It becomes something that gains more and more control on your life. And unless you take it seriously and you realize there isn't a partial solution to this, there's only one radical solution to it, it will continue to control your life to the degree that you try to hold on to your life and not completely yield it to Jesus and follow him as a way of life, embracing self-denial and even suffering. The third thing is you will see that not only does it pollute you and, and, and control you and enslave you, but it will also bring this sense of judgment on you. Because here's the weird thing about being me first is we still have a moral compass. We still have a moral code inside that's written on our hearts that, 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 that all philosophers and moralists of all history and all time said that everybody has a sense of right and wrong and even a sense of the, the, the golden rule. I saw a commercial last night watching a football game that we're, <laughs> I, I told my son, I said, it's just crazy how stuff gets marketed, but somebody was, somebody was talking about how the golden rule is important to them and therefore you should buy their product. And I thought, wow, what does one thing have to do with the other? Just tell me if your product is a good product, but don't try to snow me with, we're all this wonderful people at our corporation, you know, we have nothing but the love of God in our hearts. And I just look at that and go, I, I just know, you know, that's, I hate that kind of marketing. It's, it's, it's terrible. But when I look at that, I see people know good and bad, right and wrong. Now, they might not agree with, everybody might not agree about some of the finer points of the, how it works out. But we all look at other people and the wrong things that they do, and we are all very capable of judging them and denouncing other people's, you know, immoral behavior, whatever kind it is. And part of what we're also distressed about, about in our country right now is just on the political realm, just how intense that's become. And I think it's been intense a long time, but it just, 
you know, recently it seems like it's, it's reaching new levels, but there's so much judgment. And when we judge other people for things that we're doing, which we're all conveniently laughing at Hollywood right now, because Hollywood is one of its high, you know, its most successful producers was, you know, a, a, a serial sexual predator. The same Hollywood that, that, that produces films that say, do the right thing and be courageous and stand up for truth is those films are being generated by people who are morally corrupt. And we look at that and go, oh, look at how bad that place is, you know. When it, we have, it, 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 if we were honest, we would see all kinds of double standards in our own lives. But we're not generally honest. Our little middle class double standards that are damaging. We think, oh, the people in Hollywood never pointed fingers at him and exposed him. Some people did, and they, they learned real quick, if you take on someone that powerful you get the shaft. You don't get to make money in Hollywood. You don't get jobs. You don't get an, an advancing career. And we look at that, but we don't call people out around us. And there's people who, in our lives, almost all of us, who we should have called out about one thing or another, but we were looking out for ourselves. And so this is what me first does. We can see it in other people, but we can't see it in ourselves. That's why Jesus says you need a, we need a radical solution. And the last thing this, this me first attitude does too is it alienates us. Having a me first attitude will alienate us from other people. It will create estrangement on, on this horizontal level and also this vertical level with God. And people experience it. And so people turn to spirituality and, and other ways of trying to relate to God because they feel this gap between them and God, that there's a God who made everything, who must be good and amazing and wonderful, but I feel estranged. And I don't like the religious approaches to relating to God and knowing God. And so I'm going to find something that, that, that gives me some you know, drip of cold water on my parched tongue. And Jesus says, that won't do it either. You need something really, really radical. And so he knew he was the only solution. And he said, I'm going to suffer and die. He said this to, as the book of Matthew went on. He said it was very 